Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Speech Analysis on the Public Speakers Podcast. Um, on today's Speech Analysis, we have a pretty cool episode. It is a pretty popular TED Talk, I think, um, that's going a little bit viral, and it's called How I Climbed a 3,000-Foot Vertical Cliff Without Ropes by Alex Honnold. Um, I thought this was a nice talk. I have two main comments and takeaways from it, and then we'll get into the speech analysis itself. The first... Uh, takeaways that content usually always outweighs delivery so what you have to say because of how unique and how interesting and how diverse of a perspective you have on something how interesting your story may be in terms of like climbing something for 3,000 feet without a rope usually can outweigh the delivery mechanism in which that is communicated um, that doesn't mean to say that the delivery mechanism uh, doesn't enhance the content of what you're saying, but it does mean to say that it also doesn't automatically delegitimize a lot of what you're saying, because if you're talking about something that is so unique, um, or a story or an experience that is so out of the blue, usually it outweighs the improper uh, style of delivery in which you delivered it. That's the first thing I, I take away from that. And the reason I say that transitions into my second thing, which is that I think this speech really could have been done better from just like a public speaking perspective. And that's not to say that the content of the speech is bad. That's not to say that the story is bad. That's not to say that there's not good elements of the speech. But personally, I just thought um, that it needed to slow down a little bit more. And let me know if what you all think as well after you listen to it, like DM me on Instagram. I don't know. You can't really leave comments on podcasts, but let me know because I really just think that there were moments where a pause or like slowing down or like connecting the ending to maybe a little bit bigger of a message and, and slowing down in the way you communicated the stuff you're saying at the end could have made the speech just like a thousand times better. Um, the only real problem I have with the speech is the speaker's talking really, really fast. Um, they're not pausing in moments that I think they should pause. Obviously, they incite some humor and that's great and everything. But I just really think that there's sort of like kind of a little bit of a lack of emotion being uh, given through the speech. It sounds a little bit monotone mixed with the fact that it's not pausing in certain moments and it's just going really, really, really fast through the entire story. It's kind of like he's just trying to get it out versus slowly tell the story and that's totally fine right who am i to judge someone to be able to deliver their story like that but just from a coaching perspective i think if it would slow down a little bit um it may have been a little bit more interesting to listen to and and, and had a big, bigger impact but then again i say all of that with um, a grain of salt because the content is so unique in this speech right someone who has done something so incredible that ultimately what they say at the end of the day and how what they say at the end of the day doesn't matter as much as what they say so I hope you all enjoy the speech analysis. Enough talking. Let's get into the talk. And yeah, enjoy the speech analysis. I'll see you on the next episode. So that was El Capitan in California's Yosemite National Park. And in case you couldn't tell, I was climbing by myself without a rope, a style of climbing known as free soloing. That was the culmination of a nearly decade-long dream. And in the video, I'm over 2,500 feet off the ground. Seems scary? Yeah, it is which is why I spent so many years dreaming about soloing El Cap and not actually doing it. But on the day that that video was taken, it didn't feel scary at all. It felt as comfortable and as natural as a walk in the park, which is what most folks were doing in Yosemite that day. Today, I'd like to talk about how I was able to feel so comfortable and how I overcame my fear. I'll start with a very brief version of how I became a climber and then tell the story of my two most significant free solos. They were both successful, which is why I'm here. But the first... <laughs> Hello, I'd like to show you guys 30 seconds of the best day of my life.
Okay, so let's talk about that introduction. Um, so obviously when you have a story this important and sort of this unique, um, you know, it speaks for itself. So I thought this was a good introduction. Um, hello, I want to show you 30 seconds of the best day of my life, played the video, and then the audience obviously was uh, so in awe that they had to react in that way. Um, so a lot of times when you're giving a public speech, if you have a really amazing story or a really amazing personal experience to show, it usually can speak for itself. Um, so I'm interested to see where the rest of the speech will go, but nonetheless, that was a very interesting beginning and a, and a good captivating way to get people to listen. So I'm assuming the rest of the speech is going to be him talking about how he did it, the, the determination it took to get through it, um, and just the general experience that he had. So that was El Capitan in California's Yosemite National Park. And in case you couldn't tell, I was climbing by myself without a rope, a style of climbing known as free soloing. That was the culmination of a nearly decade-long dream. And in the video, I'm over 2,500 feet off the ground. Seems scary? Yeah, it is. Which is why I spent so many years dreaming about soloing El Cap and not actually doing it. But on the day that that video was taken, it didn't feel scary at all. It felt as comfortable and as natural as a walk in the park, which is what most folks were doing in Yosemite that day. Today, I'd like to talk about how I was able to feel so comfortable and how I overcame my fear. I'll start with a very brief version of how I became a climber and then tell the story of my two most significant free solos. They were both successful, which is why I'm here. But the first... <laughs> but... So uh, let's talk a little bit about what he just said. So this was uh, a different strategy that a lot of public speakers use. Usually, sometimes public speakers just go into what they're going to do. He's giving you what we call a roadmap about what he's going to do. So first, he's like, first, I'm going to tell you about this. I'm going to tell you about my experience. I'm going to tell you how I got over the fear. And then I'm going to tell you about my two different um, times in which I was successful. Uh, and then there's obviously a little bit of humor there, which is like why I'm here, because if it wasn't successful, he'd probably be dead. Um, so there's a good sense of humor there that gets the audience interacting. But nonetheless, you can always give a roadmap to, if you want to lay out the organizational uh, style for how your speech will go so that your audience expects you to say certain things in certain moments because you've given them that roadmap. A lot of roadmaps are actually given in debate speeches uh, in terms of like, first I'm going to talk about this argument, then that argument, and then that argument, and that's so that the judge who's judging the debate round has a clear idea of what's going to be said in different places. Uh, and that's the same tactic or method that this public speaker is using for this speech. The first felt largely unsatisfying, whereas the second, El Cap, was by far the most fulfilling day of my life. Through these two climbs, you'll see my process for managing fear. So I started climbing in a gym when I was around 10 years old, which means that my life has been centered on climbing for more than 20 years. After nearly a decade of climbing mostly indoors, I made the transition to the outdoors and gradually started free soloing. I built up my comfort over time and slowly took on bigger and more challenging walls. And there have been many free solos before me, so I had plenty of inspiration to draw from. But by 2008, I'd repeated most of their previous solos in Yosemite and was starting to imagine breaking into new terrain. The obvious first choice was Half Dome, an iconic 2,000-foot wall that lords over the east end of the valley. The problem, though also the allure, was that it was too big. I didn't really know how to prepare for a potential free solo. So I decided to skip the preparations and just go up there and have an adventure. <laughs> I figured I would rise to the occasion, which unsurprisingly, was not the best strategy. <laughs> I did at least climb the route roped up with a friend two days before, just to make sure that I knew roughly where to go and that I could physically do it. But when I came back by myself two days later, I decided that I didn't want to go that way. I knew that there was a 300-foot variation that circled around one of the hardest parts of the climb. I suddenly decided to skip the hard part and take the variation, even though I'd never climbed it before. But I immediately began to doubt myself. Imagine being by yourself in the dead center of a 2,000-foot face, wondering if you're lost. <laughs> Thankfully, it was... 
Um, that's a really good thing he just used there. So he used this element of visualization, right? So getting people to imagine a scenario that is obviously very hard to imagine. Uh, that's a really good tactic you can also use to get an audience to actually care about um, what you what experience you're trying to relate to them, right? Um, for him, I would have slowed down a little bit, right? I think he's going a little bit fast in terms of his rate of speed, and because he has such a significant story, maybe he's a little nervous and he wants to get the good parts out. But I would slow down. Uh, and I would just be like, imagine if you were in a 2,000 foot mountain by yourself, alone, you had no idea where you were going. And then pause and let that sit and internalize with the audience. Because already, as soon as he said it and he started to transition to the next thing that he was going to say after he said to imagine something, the audience already was like, damn, right? And they started laughing a little. They started, they started going like, wow, that would be crazy. Imagine if you just stopped and let them feel that energy. Um, it would create a certain type of tension in the room and also uh, develop more of his credibility in terms of his ethos because that's what he did, right? And he's telling you to imagine it, but that's what he did. Um, so maybe a little pause there would have been effective, but also it's just good to get your audience to try to visualize what you want them to visualize by explicitly telling them what to visualize. And the details he provided were pretty good at um, the explicit visualization of what he wants the audience to know. Pretty much the right way, and I circle back to the root. I was slightly rattled, I was pretty rattled, but I tried not, to let it, tried not to let it bother me too much because I knew that all the hardest climbing was up the top. I needed to stay composed. It was a beautiful September morning, and as I climbed higher, I could hear the sounds of tourists chatting and laughing on the summit. They'd all hiked up the normal trail on the back, which I was planning on using for my descent. But between me and the summit lay a blank slab of granite. There were no cracks or edges to hold onto, just small ripples of texture of a slightly less than vertical wall. I had to trust my life to the friction between my climbing shoes and the smooth granite. I carefully balanced my way upward, shifting my weight back and forth between the small smears. But then I reached a foothold that I didn't quite trust. Two days ago, I had just stepped right up on it, but that had been with a rope on. Now it felt too small and too slippery. I doubted that my foot would stay on if I waited it. I considered a foot further to the side, but it seemed worse. I switched my feet and tried a foot further out. It seemed even worse. I started to panic. I could hear people laughing on the summit just above me. I wanted to be anywhere but on that slab. My mind was racing in every direction. I knew what I had to do, but I was just too afraid to do it. I just had to stand up on my right foot. And so, after what felt like an eternity, I accepted what I had to do, and I stood up on the right foot. And it didn't slip, and so I didn't die. And that move marked the end of the hardest climbing. And so I charged from there towards the summit. And so normally, when you summit half down, you have a rope and a bunch of climbing gear on you and tourists gasp and they flock around you for photos. This time, I popped over the edge shirtless, panting, jacked. I was amped, but nobody batted an eye. I looked like a lost hiker that was too close to the edge. I was, I was surrounded by people talking on cell phones and having picnics. I felt like I was in a mall. So that's actually really funny. Um, I think he's using incorporating a good use of uh, his visualization to 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 get an, a, a good audience humorous reaction. Um, basically saying that like I just did something crazy that most people don't do ever in their lives and the history of the world most people haven't done. And there's people just around me acting like oh you just got up here nice for being up here. Um, so this was definitely a super humorous thing, and I think he's not even noticing that it would make the audience laugh. He's kind of just like having to censor himself to let the audience continue laughing, um, which is a good problem to have. Like if your audience is laughing so much and you need to pause, that's a good thing because you should let them laugh and enjoy the moment and then continue from there. I took off my tight climbing shoes and started hiking back down. And that's when people stopped me. You're hiking barefoot? That's so hardcore. <laughs> 
I didn't bother to explain. But that night in my climbing journal, I duly noted my free solo of half dome, but I included a frowny face and a comment, "Do better?" question mark. I'd succeeded in the solo, and it was celebrated as a big first in climbing. Some friends later made a film about it, but I was unsatisfied. I was disappointed in my performance because I knew that I'd gotten away with something. I didn't want to be a lucky climber. I wanted to be a great climber. I actually took the next year or so off from free soloing because I knew that I shouldn't make a habit of relying on luck. But even though I wasn't soloing very much, I'd already started to think about El Cap. It was always in the back of my mind as the obvious crown jewel of solos. It's the most striking wall in the world. Each year for the next seven years, I'd think this is the year that I'm going to solo El Cap, and then I would drive in Yosemite. Look up at the wall and think, no freaking way! It was—it's too big and too scary. But eventually, I came to accept that I wanted to test myself against El Cap. It represented true mastery, but I needed it to feel different. I didn't want to get away with anything or barely squeak by. This time, I wanted to do it right. The thing that makes El Cap so intimidating—I worked to cultivate that mindset through visualization. Which basically just means imagining the entire experience of soloing the wall. Partially, that was to help me remember all the holds, but mostly, visualization was about feeling the texture of each hold in my hand and imagining the sensation of my leg reaching out and placing my foot just so. I'd imagine it all like a choreographed dance, thousands of feet up. The most difficult part of the whole route was called the boulder problem. It was about 2,000 feet off the ground and consisted of the hardest physical moves on the whole route: long pulls between poor handholds with very small, slippery feet. This is what I mean by a poor handhold, an edge smaller than the width of a pencil, but facing downward that I had to press up into with my thumb. But that wasn't even the hardest part. The crux culminated in a karate kick with my left foot over to the inside of an adjacent corner, a maneuver that required a high degree of precision and flexibility, enough so that I'd been doing a nightly stretching routine for a full year ahead of time to make sure that I could comfortably make the reach with my leg. As I practiced the moves, my visualization turned to the emotional component of a potential solo. Basically, what if I got up there and it was too scary? What if I was too tired? What if I couldn't quite make the kick? I had to consider every possibility while I was safely on the ground, so that when the time came and I was actually making the moves without a rope, there was no room for doubt to creep in. Doubt is the precursor to fear, and I knew that I couldn't experience my perfect moment if I was afraid. I had to visualize and rehearse enough to remove all doubt. But beyond that, I also visualized how it would feel if it never seemed doable. What if, after so much work, I was afraid to try? What if I was wasting my time and I would never feel comfortable in such an exposed position? There were no easy answers, but El Cap meant enough to me that I would put in the work and find out. Some of my preparations were more mundane. This is a photo of my friend Conrad Anker climbing up the bottom of El Cap with an empty backpack. We spent the day climbing together to a specific crack in the middle of the wall that was choked with loose rocks. They made that section of climbing difficult and potentially dangerous because any misstep might knock a loose rock to the ground and kill a passing climber or hiker. So we carefully removed the rocks, loaded them into the pack, and rappelled back down. Take a second to imagine how ridiculous it feels to climb 1,500 feet up a wall just to fill a backpack full of rocks. <laughs> It's never that easy to carry a pack full of rocks around. It's even harder on the side of a cliff. It may have felt silly, but it still had to get done. I needed everything to feel perfect if I was ever going to climb the route without a rope. After two seasons of working specifically toward a potential free solo of El Cap, I finally finished all my preparations. I knew every handhold and foothold on the whole route, and I knew exactly what to do. Basically, I was ready. It was time to solo El Cap. On June 3rd, 2017, I woke up early, ate my usual breakfast of muesli and fruit, 
and made it to the base of the wall before sunrise. I felt confident as I looked over the wall. I felt even better as I started climbing. About 500 feet up, I reached a slab very similar to the one that had given me so much trouble on Half Dome, but this time was different. I scouted every option, including hundreds of feet of wall to either side. I knew exactly what to do and how to do it. I had no doubts. I just climbed right through. Even the difficult and strenuous sections passed by with ease. I was perfectly executing my routine. I rested for a moment below the boulder problem, and then climbed it just as I had practiced so many times with the rope on. My foot shot across to the wall on the left without hesitation, and I knew that I'd done it. Climbing Half Dome had been a big goal, and I did it. But I didn't get what I really wanted. I didn't achieve mastery. I was hesitant and afraid, and it wasn't the experience that I wanted. But El Cap was different. With 600 feet to go, I felt like the mountain was offering me a victory lap. I climbed with a smooth precision and enjoyed the sounds of the birds swooping around the cliff. It all felt like a celebration. And then I reached the summit after three hours and 56 minutes of glorious climbing. It was the climb that I wanted, and it felt like mastery. Thank you. Is the sheer scale of the wall. Most climbers take three to five days to ascend the 3,000 feet of vertical granite. The idea of setting out up a wall of that size with nothing but shoes and a chalk bag seemed impossible. 3,000 feet of climbing represents thousands of distinct hand and foot movements, which is a lot to remember. Many of the moves I knew through sheer repetition. I'd climbed El Cap maybe 50 times over the previous decade with a rope, but this photo shows my preferred method of rehearsing the moves. I'm on the summit, about to rappel down the face with over 1,000 feet of rope to spend the day practicing by myself. Once I found sequences that felt secure and repeatable, I had to memorize them. I had to make sure that they were so deeply ingrained within me that there was no possibility of error. I didn't want to be up on the wall wondering if I was going the right way or using the best holds. I needed everything to feel automatic. Climbing with a rope is a largely physical effort. You just have to be strong enough to hold on and make the movements upward. But free soloing plays out more in the mind. The physical effort is largely the same. Your body is still climbing the same wall. But staying calm and performing at your best when you know that any mistake could mean death requires a certain kind of mindset. <laughs> That's not supposed to be funny, but but it is. It is. <laughs> um, so I I really like uh, this speech. I, I really like what Alex is doing in terms of he's just he doesn't know that he's going to get all these reactions from like these sort of basic things he's saying about like any mistake could be death. And you know if you are trained in sort of trying to to say you would maybe emphasize that you would pause you would make that slower and and then you would let that sit with the audience. But he's kind of just saying it. He's he's actually running through the speech really fast in terms of his um, rate, and the audience is just reacting because they have to react. So this is one of those cases where like the logistical aspect of speaking is not as important because the story and the content of what you are saying, the argument you are making, speaks for itself. Um, and that's when you know the reactions that you get are just going to be there regardless. And it could be better if you were like if you knew how to like incorporate the logistical aspects of speaking, but even if you don't, it really doesn't matter, right? Because the content of the speech is so fundamentally important and valuable. Um, so let's see where the speech ends off from here. I work to cultivate that mindset through visualization, which basically just means imagining the entire experience of soloing the wall. Partially, that was to help me remember all the holds, but mostly, visualization was about feeling the texture of each hold in my hand and imagining the sensation of my leg reaching out and placing my foot just so. I'd imagine it all like a choreographed dance, thousands of feet up. The most difficult part of the whole route was called the boulder problem. It was about 2,000 feet off the ground and consisted of the hardest physical moves on the whole route. 
long poles between poor handholds with very small, slippery feet. This is what I mean by a poor handhold, an edge smaller than the width of a pencil, but facing downward that I had to press up into with my thumb. But that wasn't even the hardest part. The crux culminated in a karate kick with my left foot over to the inside of an adjacent corner, a maneuver that required a high degree of precision and flexibility, enough so that I'd been doing a nightly stretching routine for a full year ahead of time to make sure that I could comfortably make the reach with my leg. As I practiced the moves, my visualization turned to the emotional component of a potential solo. Basically, what if I got up there and it was too scary? What if I was too tired? What if I couldn't quite make the kick? I had to consider every possibility while I was safely on the ground, so that when the time came and I was actually making the moves without a rope, there was no room for doubt to creep in. Doubt is the precursor to fear, and I knew that I couldn't experience my perfect moment if I was afraid. I had to visualize and rehearse enough to remove all doubt. But beyond that, I also visualized how it would feel if it never seemed doable. What if, after so much work, I was afraid to try? What if I was wasting my time and I would never feel comfortable in such an exposed position? There were no easy answers, but LCAT meant enough to me that I would put in the work and find out. Some of my preparations were more mundane. This is a photo of my friend Conrad Anker climbing up the bottom of LCAT with an empty backpack. We spent the day climbing together to a specific crack in the middle of the wall that was choked with loose rocks. They made that section of climbing difficult and potentially dangerous because any misstep might knock a loose rock to the ground and kill a passing climber or hiker. So we carefully removed the rocks, loaded them into the pack, and rappelled back down. Take a second to imagine how ridiculous it feels to climb 1,500 feet up a wall just to fill a backpack full of rocks. <laughs> it's never that easy to carry a pack full of rocks around. It's even harder on the side of a cliff. It may have felt silly, but it still had to get done. I needed everything to feel perfect if I was ever going to climb the route without a rope. After two seasons of working specifically toward a potential free solo of El Cap, I finally finished all my preparations. I knew every handhold and foothold on the whole route, and I knew exactly what to do. Basically, I was ready. It was time to solo El Cap. On June 3rd, 2017, I woke up early, ate my usual breakfast of muesli and fruit, and made it to the base of the wall before sunrise. I felt confident as I looked up the wall, and felt even better as I started climbing. About 500 feet up, I reached a slab very similar to the one that had given me so much trouble on Half Dome, but this time was different. I scouted every option, including hundreds of feet of wall to either side. I knew exactly what to do and how to do it. I had no doubts. I just climbed right through. Even the difficult and strenuous sections passed by with ease. I was perfectly executing my routine. I rested for a moment below the boulder problem, and then climbed it just as I had practiced so many times with the rope on. My foot shot across to the wall on the left without hesitation, and I knew that I'd done it. Climbing Half Dome had been a big goal, and I did it. But I didn't get what I really wanted. I didn't achieve mastery. I was hesitant and afraid, and it wasn't the experience that I wanted. But El Cap was different. With 600 feet to go, I felt like the mountain was offering me a victory lap. I climbed with a smooth precision and enjoyed the sounds of the birds swooping around the cliff. It all felt like a celebration. And then I reached the summit after three hours and 56 minutes of glorious climbing. It was the climb that I wanted, and it felt like mastery. Thank you. Okay, so that was how I climbed a 3,000-foot vertical cliff without ropes. Um, so I like this speech. I really like the content of it. I, I just think, like, again, the content usually speaks for itself if it's that interesting of a speech, but. It could have been executed better, just in terms of public speaking wise.、Um, and again, I don't think it needs to be like crazily reformatted or anything like that. But I just think even the ending, right? Like it's just so quickly ending and just like 
I wasn't afraid, and that's why I did it, and now I'm happy. Like, it, I, I think the story is is phenomenal, right? Which is why this, the, the speech itself is getting the attention and uh, admiration that it deserves. But if there were just a, some elements of, like, proper public speaking uh, in terms of, like, just slowing down and taking some pauses, then I think it could have been better. Now, I know, obviously, I just said that that stuff doesn't matter that much, and it doesn't, but a lot of the speech had, like, none of that. And that's when it can be inflicting a little bit just in terms of the overall performance and impact you're trying to give. But regardless, again, the story itself was amazing. Um, I think it was very interesting, the the sort of dynamic between how he prepared and how he was, like, unhappy in the beginning because he was depending on luck versus, like, him depending on his own mastery. And if I was him, I would have, I would have also incorporated a larger um, theme of just, like, how you want to be sort of a perfectionist and the best at the best and not rely on uh, arbitrary random events to be able to uh, uh, determine if you are who you say you are, right? You want to really feel that self-determination inside by doing what you have to do. And that is the process of going from A to B and from achieving the goal that you wanted to achieve. Um, so overall, I mean, yeah, I thought it was a really good speech. I thought the story was awesome. I, I just think some technical elements of public speaking should should have been in the speech to make it a little bit better uh, or not even better right I, I wouldn't say better I would just say more impactful that's what uh, I would have probably done but overall it was a very very interesting story and um, I, I still can't believe someone climbed a, a cliff without ropes that's pretty pretty daring um, but yeah uh, thank you guys for watching leave a speech in the comments that you would like me to review hopefully it'll make this channel and I'll see you on the next episode of speech analysis bye